friends, I wanted to give you all updates since uh, many of you give to our ministry in Sub-Saharan Africa. It's uh, Change of Life Foundation. So I wanted, we just got back from uh, Zimbabwe, Africa, and uh, it was a wonderful trip. Um, I'm trying to consolidate 15 days worth of uh, information into the next three hours, so bear with me. <laughs> and a talent show so the kids there have massively awesome talents and I mean it seems like every one of them can dance like you can't imagine they can sing they can play instruments so this is an example of what our praise and worship look like
awesome. So what you saw there too, uh, the ladies that you see toward the front, we call those godmothers. And uh, they're typically widow women that the pastors in the local villages raise up and say, you know, who cares for the orphans? And so these, these ladies give of themselves. They typically, you know, their, their children are grown up. And so they'll take up to eight of these children in the home and they raise them as their own. So we call them godmoms, but they're typically widow women. And those are what you see right there. All right, and then next. All right, so this slide is Pastor Ramon in the middle, if you can't see him. <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> you know, in Zimbabwe, it's, you know, they've got it right. Is if you, if you go over there and you're there to speak truth and to minister to the people, you are a pastor to them. And so that's immediately the title that they give you. So as you traveled around, Ramon obviously was speaking to these older people, 18 and older, and uh, so he became pastor very quickly for them. And this was his group um, in, one of the, uh, in one of the villages that we went to. And what we were speaking about is um, God put on our heart actually very interesting because at the same time we were speaking about it, you were hearing about it here, was um, we, we spoke out of John 14. And so uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and, uh, and then verse 20, we really uh, spoke out of John 14. But what the, the focus was, was our identity in the Father. What does that look like as an identity in the Father? And then secondly, if we have an identity in the Father, then that means that we must reflect the Father's image. What does a reflection of the Father look like? And so we were really, just that was in our heart, that was just kind of the core emphasis. So I get to speak to those 13 to 18s, Ramon spoke to the olders, and, and then they spoke to the youngers. And it was all about really getting them to understand what that identity looked like. And uh, so we used some really neat props uh, the kids got a kick out of it. We had some wigs for one representing God the Father would come up. We put a gray wig on one of the kids. And then I'd say, okay, who wants to be God the Son? And they would come up, and we put a long black wig on them that was curly, and they just they would get a kick out of it. It was fun. But it really helped them understand God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, and uh, let them understand what that looked like. So that was our emphasis during the trip. Next. So this last slide is we, when we all came together, we'd have praise worship and we'd do all kinds of talent shows. Um, the children typically don't get treats like oranges and apples. And so during the time when we bring them all together, we'd give them oranges and apples to eat, uh, which they love. Um, and then at the very end, we were actually giving an altar call. So this is an example of one location. Um, here we had, I think there were 21 these people. There's some actually adults off to the right. You can't see them. Uh, but we were absolutely ministering to the adults. They were kind of in the periphery, but they were hearing what we were saying, and they were really, it was really penetrating their hearts. And so we had, I think, 21 people here gave their lives to Christ at this location. And uh, overall, through our travels, uh, over 75 people came to Christ during our trip. <laughs> Praise God. It was an awesome time. So we thank you all for participating with us. I know that we've given Bibles during Christmas. We gave uh, some animals to some of our programs where they needed, you know, they needed goats, they needed chickens, uh, and that's all for production. And the model is is that they, uh, the model is is that they they eat or take in 50% of what's produced, and then the other 50%, whether it be egg production or chickens or goats, they go to the market with those and they sell them. And then once they sell them, they can then provide clothing, food, school fees, medical treatment, upkeep on the villages, and all of that. So that's the model of sustainability that we you know, are, are enduring to obtain. And uh, so that's a recap of what we did. And uh, it was just an awesome time. I know if you want to talk to Pastor Amon, he'll, he'll share with you a lot of details of, uh, of the trip. It was, uh, it was really life-changing for us. I know it was life-changing for the children. We had a wonderful trip and a wonderful time.
time with them. So thanks for letting me share. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Don. All right. We're now going to bring up Mr. Ken Grenfell. Go ahead and clap at him. He likes it. Um, I've already prayed twice, but we're going to do one more because I love you. But you guys are in for a real treat, so Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the father of this church and a father to many of us, spiritually, Lord, and we just bless him, and I honor him this morning in front of you, in front of your people, and I just bless him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, good morning, good morning to everybody. Please, no, that sounds great, thank you. It's just, I've got so much stuff here, I've got to put some stuff somewhere. So, um, we'll make a way here. You're all well this morning? Looking at that slide, reminded, if I'm a little loud, they'll sort me out at the back there. Um, it reminded me of the time that Michelle and I, when we were leading a church back in South Africa, and Clayton, as you see him now, he was not like that then. He was about five or six years old. And Chantal, seven, eight. We used to go up to Zimbabwe maybe nine, ten times a year just to go minister there. And it looked at the slides with fond memories. Um, it really was. It was an amazing place to go and minister. It's an amazing country. It really is. And um, I remember us going into a village um, in Plumtree. It was on the eastern side of Zimbabwe, up in the top of the northeastern side. And some of them had never seen a white person. There was no, obviously no running water or electricity, whatever the case is. You go to the third tree and you turn right, and then you go to the fourth tree and you turn left, basically something of that nature. But Michelle, with her blonde hair, I remember all the kids used to come and sit on her lap and stroke her hair because it was like her novelty. It was an amazing thing. It really was. And they had these little goats and chickens, just as Don would say, and all these little baby goats. And Chantal went and gave each one a name. And then the following morning, we ate one of them, and she was <laughs> distraught. <laughs> she was distraught. We just ate Freddy or whatever the case is. <laughs> But it was, it was wonderful, it really was, it was wonderful. Yeah, good, eh? Wonderful. I was lovely to see all the guys up front, I must be honest, it was wonderful, it really was. Good. I just have one or two words quickly, if I can give them, I believe, for one or two people. is Sam here, Sam Edelman, Kids Church, oh dear, okay. I saw Sam and Ramon coming together, I saw him office, I looked through the window, and Ramon is Ramon here. Oh, Ramon, there you are. Let me just get it. I wrote it somewhere down here. So that's why I keep the one of these yellow sheets. Ramon, I felt like the Lord, as I looked at you, I felt like the Lord said, see, I can trust this man with people. See, I can trust this man with people. And I felt like the Lord just commanded you. See, I can trust this man with people. Let us send his way. And I felt God would say to you that as a result, there's increase coming into your life. I don't know in what area or how, what that means, but there's increase coming. Increase coming. I don't mean like, like me. I meant another. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you like that, Tommy? <laughs> All right. What I want to do this morning is, what I want to talk on this morning is something that many of you would be aware of. But it's something that, it's a foundational message. I feel like I'm always bringing foundational messages. But it's something that was a revelation to me in my early Christian life. And um, I felt that everywhere I went, I needed to preach it. Particularly when we came here, I used to preach it once or twice a year, every single time, into the life in the beginning of this church. So people could understand and grasp and understand the reality of it. And um, if I had to give it a, a name for today, I would say the assurance of belonging or the conviction of belonging or knowing that you belong. And um, so it's going to piggyback a little bit of Clayton's message. So if you can go with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 31, that's where it ended. And I love that series. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to listen to it. I honestly do. I thought it was amazing. I thought he did an amazing, amazing job. I really do. Um, yeah, Luke 15, verse 31. 
This is the response at the end of the parable. My son, it's the parable of the two, the two, two sons. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. And it's interesting how Jesus told this parable and he uses the terminology, my son. It's a father speaking and saying, my son. The minute you hear that, it gives you a sense of belonging and identity. My son. You're always with me and everything I have is yours. So all that I have is yours to enjoy. A passive translation puts it to joy. They were sons because of their birth. Because of their birth, they were sons. No other reason. They didn't earn it, and maybe they didn't even deserve it. But they were sons, and when I say sons, I mean daughters as well, because of their birth. And we become sons and daughters in the kingdom because of our birth. Because of our birth into the kingdom. And so I want to talk on today about the signs that you know you're born again. Because the Bible is not confused about it. There are signs that we can know, that we can take to the Father and say, this is a sign that I know that I'm a son in your house. And once you're a son in the house, everything he has is ours. And he gives it to us in the proper time. And as we mature, he'll never give it to us as we're not mature. And as we mature, and as we continue to trust him, he continues to give. He continues to allow us to enjoy and walk in all that he has for us. Why? Because we are sons. No other reason not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, not because it's a right or anything. It's because we're part of the family. Amen. And it brings such security so that even when I'm not doing well, I still know I'm a son. I'm a son. Even when things are not going well, I'm a son. Even when hard times come, I'm a son. And if I'm a son, I have a father who is the father of creation, who walks me through the tough times, who will never leave me or forsake me, but I have to know in my heart I'm a son. It brings such security. It brings such stability. It's the foundation of our Christian walk. Paul said, I built a foundation, and the foundation is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. And so we need to know that we're sons. And the reason why I'm saying this is because it is the greatest and most marvelous miracle event ever to happen in human history to you and I, that we can become children of God. It's the greatest miracle, bar none. It really is. It's the greatest miracle. It is the bedrock, the foundation of everything in our journey with the Lord. Our destiny is secure. He has it. He's gone to prepare a house for us. That's what Jesus said. And when I come back, I'll take you there. So it's not so much about the destiny. It's about the process, the journey along the way. That's what it's about. And because there's so much misunderstanding concerning this, and so much deception is coming to the church, it's foundational that we know I'm a son. And when, again, I say when I'm a son, I'm a daughter. And it's an assurance for us, and it's an assurance to help others. It's not to judge them, it's not to point a finger, because I was not a son. And there's nothing I did to become a son other than to get born as a son. So it's to help others and to recognize that we walk alongside them until the Lord brings them that birth in their life. I can't do it and you can't do it, so don't try. Tell them about the good news, but let God make them a son. Let God make them a son. 
It's the doorway. It's the gateway. Jesus said, I'm the gateway. It's a gateway. It's a requirement for identity. Don spoke about identity, for our inheritance, for the authority we have in Christ, for all the, the wisdom and the insight and the treasures of wisdom and insight that is coming our way. It secures our destiny and purpose. We receive the gifts from the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of hearing His voice because I'm a son. I have kingdom reality in my life and in my home and in the activities. And I have freedom because I'm a son. Not perfect. Mess up from time to time. <laughs> Particularly when I look at Josh. But a son. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. You just have to get in front of my eyesight. I'm a son. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 1, please. Hebrews chapter 1. All right, I haven't got the scriptures written out, so some of them will come up behind you. And I'm going to read this in the New King James, I mean in the NIV, and then I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, that's the days we live in, the last days. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. The exact is representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, because it's the Son that is speaking, not the angels. Therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God has also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's through the Son. I'll read the Passion Translation. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything, for through him God created the panorama of all things and all time. The sun is the blazing radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by his mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of majesty. Verse 2 says, he spoke through a son. Let me help us with that. We speak English. God speaks son. We speak English. God speaks son. That's how he speaks. God speaks in Son, for Jesus is the language of God. The sonship of Jesus is the language he now uses to speak to you and me even today. Jesus is God's righteousness revealed. Jesus is redemption sacrifice. Jesus is the expression of God's love. Jesus is the grace of God revealed. Jesus is the holiness of God displayed. Jesus is the word of God speaking, and Jesus is the justice of God revealed. 
In John 17, 3, Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they might know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you see. That word know is an experiential know. It's to know by experience. It's not a head knowledge known. John 3.11, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. It's knowledge through revelation. It's knowledge through insight. So we need the revelation of the Son to become a son. Because salvation, folk, you've heard me say, is not a scripture verse. It's not a church. It's not even a set of truths. It's a person, Jesus Christ. And when I have him, I have eternal life. When I have him, yeah, I have eternal life. It's to know him. We have looked at what Jesus said. Let's have a look what Jesus said about what it means to be born again. Matthew 5.20, I don't think I gave these scriptures. I'll just quote them. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will not certainly enter the kingdom of heaven. Their righteousness of the Pharisees was one of a dedicated mind and a focused intellect produced without the Holy Spirit. They fasted, they prayed, they observed holy days, they memorized scripture, and they talked constantly and enthusiastically about their religion, all without the Holy Spirit. People can fast, can pray, can tithe, can go to church, can read the Bible, all in the natural human energy without the Holy Spirit. And there's no life. So what Jesus is saying here is the righteousness which required is not produced by your energy or my energy or your fervor or my fervor, but is produced in you by another source entirely. It is a righteousness from above. It is the work of God in your life and my life. We cannot produce it. That's the righteousness that heaven requires. Luke 13, 3 to 5. Jesus, in those two, three verses, he spoke twice. There were two incidents that happened when some of the Jewish blood was spilt. Of course, of Pontius Pilate, what he did is they were going to sacrifice, they were going to bring it to the temple and sacrifice, and then the tower of Samuel's tower fell down on people, and they came and told Jesus about this, and this was his response. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Because people thought maybe they were worse sinners because of what happened to them. And Jesus said, no, not at all. Unless you repent, you will also perish. As we know, repentance has to do with a change of mind, intention, and purpose. From pleasing myself to pleasing God. That's simply repentance. Before I got born again, all I lived about was what I wanted. That's what consumed me. Going to work, making the money I need to make. I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this. Nothing bad or anything. There was some bad stuff in between. <laughs> but that's what I wanted. That's what self wanted. And when God revealed his heart to me, that changed. I wanted to now please him and not me. That's repentance. And only God can do that. And it's the kindness of God that leads to that. It's the love of God that leads to that. It's not the law. It's the kindness. Law allows us to see our, our, our shortcomings. And it need, we cry out because we know we, we can't do it. And so we cry out and then the kindness of God overcomes us. And so repentance comes. Matthew 18.3 says this. The disciples were arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus calls a little child and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change, and some translations say converted, unless you change or converted and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It is an attitude brought about by the Holy Spirit of constantly wanting to bring correction and a way in my life to please God. That's what he's saying here. 
become like a child unto your father, that you constantly want to come under the direction of your father. You constantly, so when you see you going out, you want to come back. Because that's what happens. You want to come back under his amazing gaze. And you need to become like that child in your father's house. And again, you cannot do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Last one, John 3, 3 to 6. He's talking about being born again. Unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom, he said. And unless you're born again, you will not perceive or understand the kingdom. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And so we can see from these scriptures that Jesus talks about is that to be able to become a son of the kingdom, to be able to say, Father in heaven, to be able to say, I belong in the family of God, it has to do and it has to be done by the Spirit of God. It cannot be done with any of man's hands on it or man's touch on it. It has to be done by him. I have to be born of my Father in heaven. So how do we know this for sure? How can I know for sure that this has happened in my heart? And that's where I'm going with this. But before we get there, just so we can help one another and help me understand this, when God begins to work in a person that doesn't know him, there's a couple of things that begin to happen. And the first one that happens, there's an awakening takes place in the person. All of a sudden, they become God-conscious. It's an awakening. They never wanted anything to do with it. Now all of a sudden there's an interest. It's an awakening. They're not born again yet. Please understand that. They're not born again yet. It's just an awakening. And I find with people like that, they start asking questions. And so if you have family, if you have friends, and you've tried to just share your testimony of the gospel, and there's just been a block, just keep praying because the prayer brings the awakening. The prayer brings the awakening. And wait for God to bring the awakening. Don't go ahead of him. I'm encouraging you. Otherwise, we have stillborn children all over the show in the church. We do. And then the state of the church comes down because they're not really God's people. Thinking they are, but they're not. And that is a terrible deception. That is the greatest deception there is. And the devil would love that more than anything else. That's why the Bible is very clear that we can know. Very clear. So pray for awakenings. We have a neighbor we're praying for. Lovely guy. Whenever we need help, I just say, Mike, I need this. Great, he comes and helps. We were out ministering one time, and Chantal was living in our basement. We had one of these big storms, and the water came in, went down our stairs, and came in under the door into our basement and started to go into our carpet. And Chantel woke up and she saw the water there and she phoned me and I'm in, I don't know, I'm in some part of another country and there's nothing I can do. So I phoned Mike. I said, Mike, can you help me? He took four hours out of his day to go in there, pull my carpet up, get some fans in there, heaters in there to dry it all out. It's a nice guy, very nice guy, but he's not saved. Wonderful guy. He's got a heart of gold in terms of trying to help people. And so we found just over the last while, little seeds have begun to drop. He knows what I do. He keeps inviting me over for a couple of beers because he can drink. <laughs> Reminds me of me. <laughs> and so we chat often over the fence. We honestly do. And his little kids come and they love Michelle or whatever the case is. And just before Michelle went to South Africa, she comes home on Tuesday, hallelujah. My God, Michelle went to her and it was just, a, Michelle has incredible wisdom. And she said, you know, Mike, you're a man that just seems to help people. You just seem to want to give. And she said, you know, that's what God's like. And I dropped the seed. And he started to speak to her about it. Just little, normal, natural things. And we praying before they move or we move that they will get saved. I'm waiting for the opportunity to share my testimony. I'm just saying, I'm waiting on God. I don't want to go ahead of him. There has to be an awakening. I remember in my own walk with God, the awakening started for about, and this process of awakening can take months or years. 
Don't rush the Lord. He's in no rush. He wants to do it properly. We in the rush. We rush it. Okay, months or years. For me, it was a two-year process. While we were taking youth and I was unsaved. We were taking youth of a church, but I was unsaved. As unsaved can be as unsaved. <laughs> but I loved these young people. And something started to slowly kindle in me. Amazing, as we were reaching out to others. And so I thought to get to know God, I had to go to university. So I was going, actually going to go to a university and study theology. But I know now, that's not how you get to know God. But anyway, yeah. But after an awakening, when that really comes to its fore, a conviction will come. A deep conviction. A conviction of the Holy Spirit. Closely followed by repentance. They can come very hand in hand. Deep repentance. Where all of a sudden, things shift inside you. It's a deep repentance. Repentance is a wonderful thing, people. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Because when repentance comes, there's something coming. Something big coming. I know in my own life, even though I repented the first time to know the Lord, there's been seasons in my life where the Lord has brought me to repentance and some stuff. And it's broken up the fellow ground inside me. And I know He was setting me up for something to come. And so that's a sign even in your own life. Whenever you feel broken, mourning, tears, God is setting you up for something. It's a tough season, but it's a great season. So that's by the way. So it's an awakening conviction, repentance. You see, we're trying to work with the Holy Spirit. Then faith becomes active because the Bible says everyone has been given a measure of faith. It's just what am I putting my faith in? Am I putting my faith in the world or what other people say? Am I putting my faith in what God says? And closely followed. And these things can happen spaced or they can happen very quickly. We don't determine that. He determines that and the person's response to what God's doing. And then the new birth comes. And then after new birth, there's a witness that takes place in your heart and my heart that you're a child of God. Not because Clayton said it or the pastor said it or your wife said it or the apostle said it, or the prophet said it, because God said it, you're my son. You're my son. And you need that. It's very foundational. So, what are the signs of rebirth? Amen. Yeah, he's ready. Okay. <laughs> Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John Sorry, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. We're going to start there and then go through the book. I'm also going to read this out of the... Oh, when I knew I was a son, how it changed me. Whew. Sometimes, folk, we become a son... And then unfortunately we put the affirmation we didn't get from our earthly father on our heavenly father. Once you're a son, you're very affirmed. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I, written, I, I, I write these things to you who believe in the name of of the Son of God, so that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why this book was written. That you may know you have eternal life. I'm going to read a little piece out of the Passion Translation, going back a couple of verses. Jesus Christ is the one who was revealed as God's Son by His water baptism. Because when He was baptized in water, the heavens opened and a voice came, This is my Son, my beloved Son. By His water baptism are the blood of the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit whose truth confirms this testimony. So we have these three constant witnesses giving their evidence. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept the testimony of man, how much more should we accept more authoritative testimony of God that he has testified concerning his Son. Those who believe in the Son of God have the living testimony in their hearts. 
Those who don't believe have made God out to be a liar by not believing the testimony God has confirmed about his son. This is the true testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life has its source in his son. Whoever has the son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the son does not possess eternal life. I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will be assured and know without a doubt that you have eternal life. It's wonderful, eh? Such assurance. All right, so the first one is going to come up on the back. And there's scriptures, and we won't have time to go through all the scriptures. You will have a desire to walk in righteousness and live in a right standing with God and not continue in open sin ongoingly. You will have a desire. A desire will well up inside of you. Such a desire to walk in a right relationship with God and not continue in the way of life that you went because something has changed inside you. That's why. Because something has shifted inside you by the Spirit of God. 1 John 2.29 says this. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So what does this mean? Simply means, let me use an example out of my own life. Friends come around to me every Wednesday night before I was saved. Sometimes this happened. And we used to go out drinking. Go play darts or snooker or whatever the case is. And the drinking was quite profuse, if you understand what I'm saying. And I used to come home, no problem. Never worried about it. Just the next morning had a huge headache. That's it. Okay, and then so I'll never do that again. And next Wednesday night, I'm doing that again. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. And so that's your lifestyle. You're just doing that. Then Wednesday, I go out and do that. Then Sunday or Friday or whenever, sometime between the Wednesdays, God meets me and I get saved. Don't understand it, but something's changed. Wednesday comes around and my friends come. Let's go out. Can I say, oh, let's come out. Let's go out. So go out, but now while I'm there, I don't feel comfortable anymore. While I'm chugging a beer, I think, wow, I just don't feel comfortable with this anymore. That's a sign I got born again. What changed? I didn't change it. Because the spirit in me is saying, Ken, this is not good for you any longer. And so the desire changes. I don't want to do this anymore. Not because I don't, because I'm not allowed to. It's because I don't want to. I just don't want to do it anymore. And then the following Wednesday comes, and the, my mates come, and I say, "Listen, guys, just count me out." Because your desires change. That's a sign of being born again. I want to live right with God. All of a sudden, who knows what I'm talking about? Amen. I can see the hands going up. It's wonderful. It's an incredible sign. This sign is the key to overcoming sin in your life. Let that sink in. There are other scriptures on the same subject. We just don't have time. It does not mean that we are without fault and sin, but you will have a deep desire and motivation to live right with the Lord. Number two. You will have a love towards fellow men that you didn't have before. An incredible love towards fellow men that you didn't have before. And the scriptures are at the back. And you can go home and read them. We just don't have time. But you'll have a love. And I remember, I grew up under the, in South Africa under the apartheid regime. My eyes were blinded to it. I'm just being brutally honest. Not that I disliked any section of people or colored people or people of color, not at all, not in any form or any shape, but I just stuck with those that I was with. And when I got saved, I had such a love come inside me for those that were less fortunate with me and those in Zimbabwe and Malawi and Zambia and Mozambique. I had such a love in my heart for those people that I'd never had before. what happens. God gives you a love for people. It's beyond yourself. It's a compassion for people. 
And if you let this sink in you, this will be the key to your walking in love ongoingly. It's a sign of rebirth. A love for people that you never had before. Number three, you will have a deep knowing, a deep witness inside of you. Let's read this scripture. 1 John 3, 24. I encourage you to go home and read 1 John. And every time it says this is how you know you're born again or this is where you're born in the kingdom, read it and let it sink in you. 1 John 3, 24 said, Those who obey His commandments live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Romans 8, 15 and 16. I don't know if it will come up on the back. The Bible says, The Spirit witnesses with our spirits that we're children of God. There's a witness that takes place inside you. A deep witness. There's a knowing like you know, like you know, that you don't understand it all. I didn't understand it all, but I knew it was different. I didn't understand even what salvation meant at that time when I got saved. I didn't even understand anything about the Bible. But I understood that something had shifted inside me. And there was a witness inside me that it had taken place. That's why if you can speak somebody out of Christianity, this is my opinion, I don't know if they were born again. It's impossible, impossible to have Jesus inside you and not change. Impossible. Impossible. God who created heaven and earth lives in your heart and my heart. It's impossible not to change. It's impossible to put my, That's why I don't believe it, that you can lose your salvation. That's me. Now it's gone quiet. This man's my son. When he was enjoying himself, and you heard him say it, was he my son? Yes. Was he obedient? No. Was he naughty? Very. Was he wild? Profusely. But he's my son. That never changed. Never changed. Let that sink inside. Jesus said, if, you put you, if I put you in my hand, nobody, nobody can take you out. Nobody. Nobody. Not even yourself. Nobody. It brings such security. That I don't live, have to live performance-driven. I don't have to keep measuring up to a standard. I just want to please Him. That's it. What pleases Him pleases me. That's how I live. Simple. You're a son. You're a son. It's wonderful truth, this. And there's such a knowing that happens inside you. This is key to your identity. Knowing this. Because the world will want to shape you. The devil will want to shape you. Even your family will want to shape you. Now put labels on you. And you've got to keep going back and say, No, I'm a child of God. No, I'm a child of God. I messed up. I'm a child of God. It's not right. I'm going to put it right. Because when you're a child of God and mess up, you want to put it right. Hello? Who knows what I'm talking about? Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. But I'm a child of God. Next one. Praise the Lord. We've still got 10 minutes. There is a knowing deep inside you that the man, and his name was Jesus, Plus, minus 2,000 years ago, he walked on this earth. He actually walked on this earth. That that man is the Christ, the Messiah, the real Son of God. There's a knowing that comes inside you. 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus, that's the man Jesus, is the Christ, is born of God. There's a knowing that comes inside you that this man that history talks about, they gave him the name Jesus. That man is the Son of God. There's a knowing that comes inside you. A deep knowing. 
Paul the Apostle understood this and understand Paul was born more or less when Jesus was born. Saul, who became Paul. They were born more or less a year or two apart. So he grew up when Jesus was growing up. So he was around when Jesus walked in the earth. But he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Very, very, very intelligent man. Clayton knows a lot about it. He's done a bit of a study on him. And yet this intelligent man, he was killing the Christians when he got knocked off his horse. And Jesus said, why do you persecute me? And what is the question that he, Jesus said, why do you persecute me? And Paul said, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus. There was an inward revelation that took place in Paul right there and then that Jesus is, not was, a living person. Because he thought he had gone. That's what happened to him. There was an inner realization. Oh, Jesus is living. He's actually living. Ah, I thought he was dead. And all these silly men that believe in him, I'm going to kill them. And the next question he asked, amazing, what do you want me to do, Lord? That was the very next question. What do you want me to do, Lord? Because when an innerization hits you of who he is, you just say, I'm the man, you're the God. <laughs> what do you want me to do? The order comes right all of a sudden. And it's amazing that then the Lord would send a man called Ananias to go to Paul, and he didn't want to go because he said to Jesus, this man kills us all, but I'll go. And when it comes to Paul, he just says to Paul, Jesus, Jesus has sent me to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. There's such an inward reality knowing that that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the last one, you will have an inner desire and a motivation for the things of God. You'll begin to understand spiritual things, whereas before you couldn't understand them. When Jesus blew on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, they were born again in, in uh, Luke, um, in John 20, 20, 20, 21, somewhere around about there. And in the same passage in Luke, uh, Luke 24, the Bible says, all of a sudden their understanding opened. It's like all of a sudden they understood things. It's like you can grow up in the church and grow up in the church and then all of a sudden one day, oh, oh, that's when you got born again. You've heard me ask people, when did Jesus become a reality to you? Not when did you say a prayer. Doesn't mean you were born again then. When did Jesus become a reality in your life? That's when you got born again. Not when you said a prayer. I never said the sinner's prayer. I couldn't. I was weeping too much. Never. Yeah. When did Jesus become a reality in your life? Well, I was chatting with a lady this week. She came to see us. I was sitting with somebody. I don't want to, otherwise, they'll know who it was. And I asked her that question, and she said she grew up in the church. And then all of a sudden, one day, the Bible started to make sense for her, and she had a hunger. And she said that was in her late teens. I said, that's when you got saved. It can happen in your sleep. We try and box God, how it's got to happen. You've got to be born of the Father. I was born in 1954, very young man. And when I was 33 years old, I was born again. I lived 33 years for myself. And at 33, I got born again changed me completely and utterly. These are the signs of rebirth. That you have such assurance in your heart that you'll never try to earn something from him again. You'll never try to do something to get something from him. You have it all already. My son, everything I have is yours. My son, everything I have you're always with me. I'm always with you, son. I'm always with you. And everything I have is yours. He just gives it to us when we need it. I don't have time, but I'd encourage you to go read Colossians. 
Colossians, the book of Colossians, particular chapter 2 and chapter 3, where Paul says all the mystery, the mystery, the mystery was revealed, wasn't revealed before, but it's revealed now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that was revealed when Christ came. And he said all the, the wisdom and the unsearchable riches are in Christ Jesus. So everything we have is in Christ Jesus. Your life and my life is hid in Christ, in God. Your life and my life is hid in Christ, in God. That's where it's hid. It's hid in Christ. It's hid in Christ, in God. That's why the Bible says, fix your thoughts above, focus above, because everything comes from that place. And I will encourage you. Therefore, it says, now that you know him, be rooted and established, strengthened and grounded in your faith. And so he's going on to encourage these people. But I want to end by reading you a little article, if I can. This is what I've described to you as true Christianity. Nothing else is true Christianity. This is Christianity, being born again. It's just a little article I read. I think I've read it before. Years ago, an Englishman had gone out to California. He made his fortune in the gold fields, and he wanted to go back and live with his own people. So he sent his money by check around back to England, and he came overland to Kansas City and down in Missouri and then to Mississippi and ended up in New Orleans where he was going to take a ship to New York and from there to England. Now, as a tourist in New Orleans, he did as most tourists do. He went down to the slave market. Only in the early 19 or early 1850s, there were still slaves being sold. As he went into the market, he saw a lot of men gathered around there and one young Negro woman who was beautiful. And he was up for bed. He heard the men as they were speaking about her. And he saw two evil-looking men bidding for her quite heatedly. And then he heard them say what they would do with her. And his heart just revolted against the whole thing. Finally, when they were bidding and the prices were getting very high, and he just didn't, couldn't stand it. So he beckoned to the auctioneer and he said a figure which is exactly twice the last bid, utterly beyond anything that had ever been paid for a slave in the market before. The auctioneer said, have you got the money? He came up and he said, yes, sir, I've got the money. So the bill of sale was made out. He went over to the block to take the woman that he had purchased. And as she came down one step and stood just about the level with his eyes, she had made a mouthful of spittle, and she spat right in his face. And she hissed through her clenched teeth, I hate you. He said nothing. With the back of his hand, he wiped the spittle away. Then he took her by the hand and walked her down the street, across this intersection, through the mud and down the street, until he came to a little office building. She couldn't read, and she didn't know what it was. He went to the desk. He began to speak. The man behind the desk began to protest. He said, I insist. It's law. I insist. Finally, he came back, and he paid some money, and he got a paper. He walked over to the woman that was like a beast, ready to spring on him, and he handed the paper out, and he, and he said, Yeah, are your freedom papers. You're free. She hissed, I hate, you. I hate you. He said, don't you understand? Yeah, are your freedom papers? You're free. She said, no. You paid twice as much for me as you've ever paid for anyone on the block. And now you're giving me my freedom. I don't believe you. He said, yes, they are your freedom papers. And he put them in her hand. She said, stop, mister. Do you mean to say you brought, you bought me? Do you mean to say that you bought me to set me free? He said, "Yes, that's why I bought you to set you free." Tears came up into her eyes that she hadn't known tears for a long time. They just spilled over her face, softened, and then she slipped down on on her hands and her knees, and she reached down and put her hands on those rough boots. And then she laid her cheek down on the toe of one of them, and through a tear she sobbed, Oh, you bought me to set me free. You bought me to set me free. You paid more than has ever been paid before, 
just to set me free. Then through her tears, she looked and said, Oh, sir, all I want in life is to be with you. You bought me to set me free. The Lord Jesus Christ bought you and me to set you free. And when you understand, then it's the joy of your life to come and stand against the door of grace and let him bore through his ear of your heart that you can be his bond slave forever. He bought you, he bought you to set you free. Not only from hell, but from the world and the flesh and the devil. He bought you to set you free. Oh, come to him. Kiss his nail-pierced feet. Take from his hand the great salvation that is purchased with his blood. And remember, he bought you to set you free to become a son. That's what he did. Father, how do we ever thank you for what you have done? How do we ever thank you? You bought us. You made us sons and daughters. purely by grace. But anything I did, think about it, people. Just sit there and think about the time that he became a reality to you. And in your heart, you can confidently say, I am a son. I am a son. I am a son in my father's house. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Ken. I don't know what to say either. Yeah. And thank you for, for being here with us this morning. Thank you for visiting, <coughs> visiting. Please make sure you get a gift on the way out and find information about our church and how to connect with us and ways that we can connect with you. And if you'd like prayer for anything today, please come over here on this side of the church. We've got a trained ministry team ready to pray with you. Otherwise, try to stay cool. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We're glad you've joined us today. We'd love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you are new to us. Any needs or comments you may have or how we can connect with you. To submit a card, scan the QR code in the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you're here for the first time, please visit the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome back. We look forward to meeting you. Are you unsure if water baptism is right for you? Do you have questions about what baptism is? Well, come join us at our Baptism Interest Meeting on May 29, where you can get answers to your questions in preparation for our summer water baptisms. Ladies, we have a special event coming up for you. Join us for a screening of Sight and Sound Theater's beautiful production of Queen Esther on Friday, June 3rd. Girls age 7 and up are welcome at parents' discretion. Please sign up to let us know you're coming. Learn more about Free Life Church at our Discovery Course on Saturday, June 4th. Whether you're looking to get to know us better or ready to be a member, this course is where you begin. Brunch and childcare will be provided, so please sign up online today. If you have completed our Discovery course and made the decision to become a member here at Free Life, we invite you and your family to be prayed over during the service on June 19th. As an official welcome to the family, please sign up to let us know you plan to participate. 
We want to honor our graduating seniors this year, and we need your help. If you have a graduate in your family, please register them on the events page so we can celebrate them during our service on June 12. This includes any age in any school or institution. Registration closes June 5th, so sign up your grad today. Would you like to serve but don't know where to start? Check out our new Serve at FLC page on our website. There are many opportunities to serve here at Free Life and you can use your gifts and passion to make a difference. Follow the QR code or visit our website for more information. Stay informed of upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. And remember, to learn about all our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.